Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade filled movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm doing my part because the only good bug is a dead bug. William Johnson. Ooh, folks, this isn't quite bug season where we're, we're recording this on the eve of fall. But ladies and gentlemen, if you know that line, we're heading to Starship Troopers. So ladies and gents, we're damn glad to have you. This is all for tangent sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on this week. We're turning back the clock to 1997, getting political, getting sexual, getting violent with oh, yeah. starship troopers um, our format is this the recommending lover goes first they will get five unearthed minutes to shower their praise and state their how case any hater will follow second with uh their own five unerupted minutes of their own i said their own twice to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth after that scorched earth appropriate for this one we'll open it up for about 30 minutes to share a conversation where the his if it really gets chippy uh and ladies and gents board up the mobile infantry and let's go <laughs> Yeah, I you know it's it's funny. I just was talking. I was just thinking about the name of our show, but like, uh, yeah, I feel like <laughs> the last like twenty episodes. I don't think we've actually disagreed on anything. <laughs> I know some of this is. Um, I'm wondering if some of this is, and then this has been, this has been a uh, um, what am I trying to say? This has been kind of your intention is like, hey, let's cover some more classic movies, and chances are yeah. the ones that we've been picking and finding, um. Even the hidden gems, even the Hanover streets and the regarding Henry's like they kind of hang around and linger enough for us to find because they're kind of good. Yeah, so we, well, and, and we, we don't get find lucky. a lot of duds. Yeah, we you get know? lucky because I hadn't seen like just using those two examples. I hadn't yeah. seen those and they I was like, OK, what if these suck? You know, but they actually were right. Great, so, you know, it's 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 cool. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's kind of like when MacGyver, uh, you know, like the first couple seasons of MacGyver, you know, uh-huh. he was like using all the you know, crazy everyday items to make gadgets. But by like the last couple seasons, he was like, you know, stopping gang wars in LA and, and preaching yeah. about peace, you know? And it was like, where did MacGyver go? Now I'm not saying we're going the way of MacGyver, but I'm just saying, you know, sometimes that, these things evolve. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? I mean, well, I mean, in our pocket, we've got this editorial where we're probably getting, I don't know if we'll get in a fight, but we'll, we'll bring fights to us. I yeah I think I think people will yeah people will have the cinephile hissy fit against us yeah I think you're right well two white males talking about cancellation Uh, but that is a show (laughs) for another time folks Will Johnson this was totally recommended by you now that I hadn't seen it back in the day but you count as the lover you go first yes uh well uh let me set my timer because I wasn't prepared for that but a little preface for why I'm doing this movie so I have uh and I guess I'll keep that into the uh. I'll keep that in the five minutes. Um, I've started. Uh, I've always been a defender of this movie. Um, you know, I saw this in the theater with my with my high school friends. You know, this came out 1997. You know, we snuck in. We probably bought tickets for, you know, Toy Story 2 or something, or whatever the hell was out in 1997. Titanic, probably. And, uh, you know, we snuck into this one. And, you know, I was... Probably, I definitely wasn't the quote-unquote cinephile I am now. You know, I didn't, I'm pretty sure other than like James Cameron, who did Titanic, obviously, I wasn't necessarily too well-educated about directors and artists having an influence on a film, you know? So I, I didn't see Starship Troopers purely as, 
you know, a Paul Verhoeven film. You know, I saw it as, oh, this looks like, based on the advertisements, a kick-ass action sci-fi film, you know? And, um, but I, I, re- I recall, you know, while my friends were kind of laughing and saying, wow, this is terrible, this sucks, there was something about, I still, ha- I still have very vivid memories of the theater I was in and all of that. And I, I, I just have vivid memories of just kind of sitting there and something clicked. It's not like I'm special or anything. It's just there was something that spoke to me. I knew I wasn't smart enough at that age. I was probably 14 or 15. I wasn't smart enough at that age to fully understand satire. But something was clicking with me where I got it. Like there was something special about this movie, you know, and, uh, you know, it it kind of had a great opening weekend and then kind of disappeared. I remember renting it on DVD uh, and, you know, enjoying it. And a lot of my friends enjoyed it. And then I just kind of forgot about it. And, um, I did probably the movie came out in 97. I'd say probably around 2004, 2005. I read the book and the book is excellent. And we'll probably talk about that later when you and I both talk, but, um, yeah, the book is quite excellent. And, and I was like, well, you know, I gotta rewatch the movie cause everyone says it sucks. And I just never got around to it. And then as you know, through time, uh, people, especially in this social media age, you know, the, there's these weird, uh, resurrections of films, you know, where suddenly people defend films that are considered awful and things like that. I never thought it was awful, but I just kind of thought, you know what, I got to rewatch this and and see if my initial feelings were correct. And, and kind of the preface for why we're doing this episode is because a couple episodes ago for our hundredth episode, actually, but you know, 27 or 30 episodes ago, depending on when this is released, um, you know, I had a top a hundred and, uh, I have decided now that I'm going to kind of do it yearly because I watch so many new films and there's always going to be something that comes in. This was always a four and a half for me, but upon rewatching now in my forties in the comfort of my old home, having lived through, you know, you have to remember that 1997 is pre 9-11. There's not a lot of cynicism about the war. We're, we're so far removed from World War II and Vietnam at that point. And we were in the the heyday of the Bill Clinton era, you know, where everything was peaches and the biggest controversy was a blowjob, you know. Watching it now in this post-9-11, very cynical world, like, this looks like a work of genius and prophetic, too. Now, granted, the book did this, obviously, in the 50s. But visually, and, and reaching a more mass audience, I mean, even if the movie did not do well at the box office, there's probably more people that have seen Starship Troopers the movie than have read the book. And I don't know, man, something just really hit me. Um, it, it, uh, I was really struck by the imagery. I started looking at more of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and obviously I am very well-versed in Paul Verhoeven now. He's one of my favorite directors. Uh, and obviously you cannot get away from the genius satire of something like RoboCop and Total Recall and all these things. So watching it now from a much more educated place, from a much more cynical place, uh, you know, we, we've been through a lot in this country. Um, I was struck by how um, bold and uh, fascinating this film was. And, and just like RoboCop, I love the fact that Paul Verhoeven was able to kind of convince the studios that he was making a legit action film, which is also pretty awesome too. Not to, you know, not to say it isn't just like RoboCop has awesome action scenes too, but 
the fact that he was able to get this movie made so intentionally, like in terms of just making 90210 in space, you know, with that mo- like mocking the, the people that he cast in the movie by even hiring them. It's just brilliant. And, and I think it's a movie that can only get better with time. And I mentioned the top 100 because if I were to redo that list sometime next year, which I think I plan on doing, this has to crack it. Um, like I said, it didn't make the initial list because it was four and a half stars. It's clearly five stars for me now. I think it's brilliant. Um, and I think it's a film we all need to see. Uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, take your kids to it or anything, but, you know, just I think it's something that we, especially as Americans, need to look at and realize, wow, this is kind of what we're becoming. So mm. that's my thoughts. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Um, I'm, I was, I'm a couple years older than you where, um, by 97, I'm 17. I can get into this movie. I didn't have to sneak in or all that stuff like that. But, um, I admit, um, this one, much like you, uh, even with my two years of seasoning went over my head. Um, I, um, I had, I, I think, I mean, I like anybody on the poster from the director of RoboCop. So seeing the, the kind of the framing device of the television stuff and the online, do you want to know more? Like it was so, um, of, I mean, of our, it felt so futuristic then, even though that's kind of, so the web then, and even kind of the web now in a weird way of all that selectivity and whatnot. But, um, your 90210 in space thing is so very true. I think when I saw it the first time, uh, and like probably the only time in the theater I saw it, um, I probably was eye rolling. I was like, boy, this is just, it's cool. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, these characters are kind of lame. They're made to look a little bit lame. The, the quinky dinks and coincidences of the same three characters, one of which is Doogie fucking Hauser, <laughs> um, just does not help. Like, and, and God, and man, God bless Neil Patrick Harris. But like, uh, thank you to, you know, um, uh, how I met your mother, but like he needed rebranding, uh, for a long time because like you just could not believe him in any role and, or he wasn't given good enough material or, or by the time we, by the time he becomes Barney for all those years on, on a sitcom and then shows up in gone girl as a completely twisted, different version of the narcissist that he can kind of sometimes be now mm-hmm. he's kind of back. And then by the time he's done the Tony stuff and, and whatnot, like he's his own brand now, which is great. But in 97, you couldn't get a lamer like wait we're rooting for doogie hauser it, it it just it landed with a thud um mm. jake Busey in there kind of lands with a thud you saw him just earlier that summer being, being the kind of the freaky dicky guy in contact you know and mm-hmm. so um and i had not known casper van dean i think everyone in everyone kind of had a pulse of denise richards and i think her pulse is quicken a little bit more the next year with wild things and whatnot mm-hmm. but um but yeah it was it was difficult to kind of get through just the what seemed at the time even to a uh, even to a novice's eyes really bad performances in a really cool movie because um yeah the looking back at it now and rewatching it recently the bugs and the special effects like look look great um damn look i mean i know there's some weird explosions and some bad physics here and there in a few scenes but honestly it just looks a whole lot better than a lot of the stuff we we watch today and i know we say that every show with every old movie versus today's movies but we and we say it a lot where um uh the special effects are there to enhance not take over and you have that entirely because you have verhoven who's not afraid to do mangled bodies and body horror and and prosthetics and mannequins and like and and show a good fucked up scene uh and do it with some good gore and whatnot uh so all of that is there and i think at the time 
like a year after seeing something like Mars Attacks in 96, where I think I was just kind of sitting there going, what the fuck? Um, I, I, it was over my head and it was lost. But you're dead on where watching it now um, with adult eyes, they, and, I, and, I, and it grew on me since, like realizing it since then, like I didn't need to rewatch to get there. But um, the, the social, political, uh, military co- commentary that, that just bleeds out of this movie literally and figuratively um, it is really, really, really good and, and pressing and ahead of his time where I, you're right. I like the way you said that where this movie um, schlock and all cheese and all can be um, a very fantastic test case of like, Hey, look what even a schlocky B movie can do to just say something, push something, uh, address something. Even if it does it in a, in a satirical manner, the fact that you have the balls to come out and just speak it, say it, and even kind of will it even into existence is the power of movies sometimes. And not that Starship Troopers has changed society and changed the world, much like other things, but it sure mm-hmm. called a shot or two. Uh, and I think that's a big deal thing. So, um, yeah, I'm with you where um, it's not a five for me. It's a four. Um, but that, I tell you what, that's raised from the three that it was probably back in the day in 97, where it's kind of middle. Like I had fun. It's a fucking blast. You know, you're you want to just it's almost like a good like sports football movie where, you know, you've got enough characters that feel like Latimer for the program where you want to run through a wall with Johnny Rico, too. So, um, yeah, so it, it's but what has grown on me, much like you said, is the smarts of it, the intention of it, the balls of it, because uh, I don't think. And I'm trying to kind of do the Rolodex of sci-fi movies. I don't know who, which sci-fi movie has these kind of, this has this big of balls and also this heavy, um, I don't want to say heavy of messages, but sharp of messages. Because uh, unless Adam McKay thinks he can make one of these little sci-fi movies, and I, maybe maybe he tried with the fucking comic movie, but um, I don't think anybody's got, I don't think anybody's got Verhoeven's balls today. And it shows, it shows a lot because you can watch a movie like this, which is one of his, you know, upper efforts, but it's not Robocop. Uh, it's that basic instinct um, where it just it, it just goes for it. And I, I admire it so much more. So, yeah, um, those are our opening fives. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy a short announcement from uh, the Ruminations Radio Network. You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler free discussions at Blue Rose Task Force podcast. No information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. Do you want to know more? All right. Welcome back. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I, I've learned since then about, like you said, kind of the book here a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something I've been meaning to pick up because it, it's not a very long read. It, or at least it doesn't look like one. And, um, and uh, I was kind of fascinated, like, all right, how much, of, how much of what Verhoeven's cooking comes from the book? And I heard that the book was much more drier and more detailed into the military side of things where almost like if the word I was kind of told to me was like very clinical into the boot camp and the dynamics and all that where maybe it felt more like full metal jacket on a page than it did you know sci-fi romp on a page tell me i gotta learn more you gotta tell me well now granted i'm gonna preface by i haven't read the book in about 15 years or so sure you know i i recall a lot of it and, and a lot of it is uh true in the movie so like a lot of what happens plot wise is very similar in the okay. movie. So like, you're not missing much there. There's not like a lot of, there's some differences with like, um, uh, in the movie, like Rico's both Rico's parents die when Buenos Aires is destroyed. Whereas 
in the book, his mother dies, but his father, you know, probably inspired by that death, joins the military and they become close uh. together as a result. It's not a huge part of the story, but you're not missing much there. What I will say about it is how the movie works and the book works are very similar in that um, they are 100% serious. You know, like the mm. movie, the movie is satirical, but yeah, the, 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 the key to satire and you brought up Adam McKay. And, and as you know, don't look up is one of probably my least favorite movie of that year that came out mm-hmm. is if you don't strike that right balance, um, yeah, yeah. you, you have to, you have to commit, you know, and the book does that too, because it's, it has things to say. So much so, just like the movie, in which people misinterpreted it and assumed okay. it was something it is not. The, the major problem, and this is, and, the, and I wanted to talk about the background of the movie a little bit too, and the same thing with the book, is when the okay. book came out, a lot of critics were just like, oh, well, you know, Heinlein is clearly, you know, a fascist, you know? And yeah, it was, that, and, that's, and people, that's the cue. That's the cue I'm seeing here is like, uh, I'll throw a quick note in to go to do your detail. Um, I'm reading on IMDb, Paul Verhoeven admits to never finishing reading the book. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's like it it got labeled by him right wing book. Screenwriter kind of finished it for him. Um, And and then, yeah, he kind of turns that concept to satirize it, making it kind of the words here are hyperbole of contemporary American politics and culture. And like you said in your five minutes to do that in the Clinton era heyday pre 9-11 when everything's kind of doing great. Again, ballsy. So, yeah, but dive in, dive in further. You got this covered. Well, um, yeah, and, and the interesting thing about, um, well, I'm trying to to put it together so it makes sense. But part of the reason why Verhoeven cast some of these awful actors, mm-hmm. and I mean, I don't want to be, I'm not being mean when I say that. I, I think that, I think that Casper Van Dien, who was on 90210, by the way, yeah, um, that's right. You know, like they have their moments and they, they certainly are trying, you know? Um, and and I think part of why they, uh, were chosen is not only because of the look. I mean, if you look at the list of actors who auditioned for the Rico part, I mean, they're bonafide, huge movie stars now. Like I think Matt Damon tried out. I think, uh, I don't know if it was Christian Bale, but somebody else, somebody else who's really big now, um, you know, tried out for the role and Verhoeven chose Van Dien because he kind of looked like the poster child for the Aryan youth. And, and that's important because right, right. What, people, what people forget is when they were criticizing Verhoeven for saying he's a fascist is they forget that like his family was, you know, uh, you know, part of Nazi occupied Amsterdam, you know, like they were victims of the Nazis and one of the huge influences on this film, and there's actually shot for shot, um, uh, scenes in this, uh, especially during those, you know, click here for more or whatever, yeah, is yeah. from from Lenny Reifenstahl's Triumph of the Will, which showed, which was the world trying to show that Nazis are actually great and normal, right? And and part of that Triumph of the Will, that documentary, which is kind of the poster board for propaganda, is that everybody in that is almost quote unquote, too perfect. They use perfect in the tense of, you know, like they all are doing the right thing at the right time. And, you know, they're, it's, it's almost too perfect. Like the people look perfect in the documentary, mm-hmm. they're showing them doing all these things that are 
not horrible, like 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 the Nazis would end up doing it. It showed them that it was a military state, but it was also this great place, and everyone should be like the Nazis, right? And that's kind of what this is doing because you have this really confusing. The reason why the satire works is because you have these very vacant, shallow, terrible main characters who the actors are dr- trying their best. But I think because they know this could be their big break, they're trying their best. But that's true. It's working. Uh, it's working for the movie that these ki- these guys are kind of naive that their performances yeah. suck because it it helps because they look too perfect. Yeah. They're acting perfect, and and the the real trick, the real reason why it gets uh, the satire works perfectly is the action in this is so fucking good yeah. that your blood boils with excitement mm-hmm. and you realize you're kind of getting excited about something yeah. that you should not be getting excited about whatsoever. Yeah. Great, and, great, great way of saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the brilliance of the movie is that you yeah. have, like you said, like you talked about when you saw it when you were 17, you were I like, did. Hey, this is kind of awesome but these actors really suck. And it's kind of like, well, that was the point that he wanted to make was that like, by this point in the future, these people are like single minded, shallow, almost genetically engineered to look awesome and kick ass. Uh Yeah. You know, people, um, and in the book and in, unlike something like Ender's game, which I read the book and the movie for, um, Ender's game is similar in that, they are fighting against kind of a bug creature thing, but uh, Orson Scott card in his book and, and the movie does this too, kind of takes a turn at one point and makes you realize like, Oh, the humans are bad. It kind of spells it out for you. Right. And kind of humanizes for lack of a better word, the bug creatures, this makes no attempt. And you have to kind of, like I said, you have to be a little sly and smart and not saying, you know, you and I are the smartest people in the world, but you have to like kind of think to yourself, you know, you start feeling bad for these bugs. And and, and the reason why the satire works is because there's never a moment where you are given a chance to see the quote unquote humanity of the bugs. You kind of have to figure that out for yourself because you're like, after a while, you're just like, holy shit. I think the only moment that maybe tips the hand of the satire a, a teeny bit okay, is the moment when it's kind of like the typical end of a war movie. We've captured the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Everyone's happy and cheering. And there's that moment where Doogie Hauser steps out in his full Nazi regalia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Doogie Doogie Heimler. Uh Doogie Heimler. He puts his hand on the brain bug Uh and says he's afraid. And everyone starts cheering like like they just conquered the world. And at that moment, I mean, if you hadn't got it yet, that might be the one moment. It's right Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie where you go, man, I don't feel so good about that. Because, like, we're cheering on the fact that this alien is a is you know, this bug is scared. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just feels kind of, yeah, yeah. kind of gross, you know? And uh, yeah, so it's just kind of a, it's, it it's may- a lot deeper. It's, it's this weird movie because I think people that have saw it, uh, a good friend of ours, Jeff, who was on our show before, you mm-hmm. know, I, I posted about it on Facebook that I was watching and he was like, I saw it in 1997. Never again. It was terrible. I'm not mm, saying his opinion yeah. isn't valid of it, but I think that like, when people think that it is this vapid, shallow thing because it's action and terrible acting, 
I don't think it's it's this. I think you're missing it too. Well, it's this weird yeah. hybrid where it looks shallow and va- okay. vapid and pointless, but that is the point itself, and it's a yeah. lot deeper. It, this is this doesn't because it wasn't a box office success. This doesn't get talked about in the same realm of something like Fight Club or American Psycho mm-hmm. or Joker or right. some of these other movies where like people idolize it for the wrong reasons. I like, agree. I think if this was more of a hit, we would see, and this is probably why they made the sequels the way they did, Right, um, is people saw it as the kick-ass bug movie. Look how we crush those bugs. When Verhoeven's making you feel like shit for cheering on the fact that you're murdering this entire culture. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> or, like, or the idea that um, I think Verhoeven and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, the book also uses bugs, correct? Like, that's kind of the proxy. Yeah, it's Clendathu, it's the bug thing. They don't, they don't, um, from my understanding, if I remember correctly, now, my memory, which I'm going to bring up, is a little hazy on this, too, because I actually thought this movie, and maybe the reason why it wasn't the full five stars, is I thought thought the movie and the book played its hand a little too early, because for whatever reason, I must be mixing it up with something else. I had this memory that when Buenos Aires is destroyed and that leads the Terran Federation or whatever to mount this huge assault, right? Right. I was under the impression, for some reason, my memory of the movie and the book made me think that at some point it's revealed that the military itself destroyed Buenos Aires to get oh, this stuff passed. Okay, okay. And, and yeah. so, Wait. so. That yeah, would that, be prophetic. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that also would have, I think, like I said, played the hand a little bit because then it's yeah. it's putting the quote unquote heroes now as they have to make a decision. This happens all the time in conflicts and films. Like there's that guy who is on the quote unquote good guys and then has to make the decision to, you know, stick with it or become uh-huh. their own person or whatever. So that I'm not gonna say it's sullied the memory, but I it does make a big difference because when this was over, when I finally watched it again, and it just ends with, and they will fight, and they yeah. will win, and then it's credits, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, wait a minute, didn't that thing happen? And I, I checked I checked the online summary of the book. It didn't happen in that. So there's something out there. Uh-huh. There's well, some I think that's Verhoeven, from- you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, here, Verhoeven, um, and the DVD commentary kind of puts this out there, where Verhoeven is super clear with his intentions, where he he kind of says, quote, the film's message is that war makes fascists uh, fascists of us all. And that's the thing, like, when, and that's the crazy prophetic thing about, like, where 9-11 would be four years later, where once, you know, something happened to us, now, obviously, we didn't, uh, two buildings in New York, a, co- uh, uh, a dent in the Pentagon and a plane in, in, in Pennsylvania isn't blowing up all of Buenos Aires and killing a million people, mm-hmm. but it turned every American into, a, I don't want to say every American, but it turned a whole bunch of Americans into, let's go get those motherfuckers tough guys. And yep. to, and, and that, that's the thing, like war, war is that button pusher where, yes, there's some cool unity. There's some, you know, Rose of the Riveter kind of things. You, you know, I'm doing my part, you know, all the lines here. <laughs> and, and I think that's the, that's kind of the interesting thing that this movie um, goes after is like, it's all those things that we would celebrate a year later in like Saving Private Ryan, you know, like, it, cause we're still on that heels where we're still making World War II movies. We're still crowning and lionizing the greatest generation where we can but we're spinning that with here with you know space 902 and 0 where um 
I I guarantee in 1941 there were characters maybe again not quite as ditzy and uh, probably no characters of a different era who act awful lot like these just to go kill some nazis right so um i i and verhoven i think being a foreigner coming in and kind of putting his lens on to politics that he works in but is it external from is is just kind of brilliant from him and again i keep going back to the word ballsy but um i'm i'm impressed with just kind of where he's going because um uh you know i i know screenwriter kind of also kind of piles on and says you know sees the film as kind of a satire on human history rather than solely the u.s but mm-hmm. by you know and and obviously you know setting it in buenos aires with the most un-argentinian looking possible people yeah. um they're that all was, 20 they're all yeah. all three of those actors muldoon uh, uh van dean and richards were all 29 playing 18 which is hilarious <laughs> um oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh but no 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 um Yes, there there are other countries that have jumped up for war efforts in the same way. But, you know, you still put this out in an American movie theater for American audiences and we're the biggest consumers in the world. And the, the bullseye is closest to us and deservedly in many times in ways. So where um, I just um, yeah, I think Verhoeven's just kind of right on in, in making this attempt. And and he knows that the number one trigger that'll make people that'll make people kind of jump up and. I don't want to say turn a blind eye, but just accept a few more things. And he's right is war. When war comes around, we're, we're, we loosen a little bit We're we're like, well, can you go catch Osama bin Laden? Yeah. Don't tell me about the torture you did to do it, but if you got him, you got him. Nice job. Maybe mm-hmm. after the fact, we can all get our panties in a bunch about waterboarding and whatnot and what it took to get what you wanted, you know, um, right, right, yeah, sure. the, the, the means to the ends kind of conversation. It kind of comes up and, you've got a movie here that puts the means to the ends right in your face and smears it a little by making, like you said, making it so, um, uh, so automatic, so chipper. Like there's not, I mean, other than like dad saying, you know, Van Dien's dad saying, Hey, you can't go. There's not a lot of pushback in this movie. Everyone, like, you have kids stomping cockroaches in the street. Like the, <laughs> the, 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 the ultra inflation of ex- complete acceptance of what is going on mm-hmm. is, is is part of the smear and that's kind of fun to, to play out well and i'm probably gonna piss somebody off out here but you know you, you brought up the, you brought up the united 93 thing you know yeah. what's what's interesting about that and what this movie really tackles also is the concept of and people do this in religion too with the bible as well taking and taking bits and pieces and making it the whole narrative when that's not the case. Ooh, and what I, what I mean by that, great, great, great course of where you're going. Keep yeah. Going. Well, what I mean by that is like some people, and they still have it to this day. And I don't know. I don't, I'm not educated enough on it. I, I, I just recall, cause I haven't studied, you know, the United 93 thing in probably 15, 60 years or something. But I recall that there were some accounts that while the plane was kind of herking and jerking around and, you know, people were deciding like, okay, we're going to take the plane back. Uh, mm-hmm. At one point, like one of the food carts like rolled down the aisle and somebody said, let it roll. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's other reports that, you know, over the radio, they could hear someone say, let's roll. And then they took over the, you know, mm-hmm. the terrorists or whatever. I don't know which one is true, but there is obviously enough for there to be different accounts, you know? So a lot of people, like you said, they become that, hardcore like america fuck yeah thing yeah and they say yeah. let's roll you know because that's the american spirit whether that that might not be true but it was enough of a 
it was enough of a siren song for people to right, unite around, right. you know? And that's kind of what this is. And maybe that's where I thought, maybe I mixed some other sci-fi novel or book or something uh, in about, you know, it might've even been Ender's Game that had the twist. It wasn't in the movie, but maybe the book had that twist where we found out we destroyed ourselves. But um, it, it, it makes sense because you are seeing that propaganda. It's also pre normal internet. You know, this is obviously internet era, but yeah, this kind of stuff is all over the place, but there's a lot of, you know, just, I don't know how to describe it really, but it's kind of like these kids we call them kids, even though they're 29, they, (laughs) you know, they're, they're buying into the bullshit being shoved to them or they they are, or they are getting a, um, a piece of the facts and using that as the rallying call, as opposed to getting all of the information, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of seems how this government is built, you know, in uh, there's, there's one great scene where, um, you know, this guy, like when Rico shows up for, you know, deployment or whatever, the guy's like, ah, the, the infantry made me the man I am today. And he has no legs, uh-huh. and like, no yeah. arm. And like, but he's, hundred percent honest. Like he believes it, you know, and then all the teachers at the school, including one of the golden girls, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're all horrifically injured and, you know, they're disabled because of fighting, but they all with their full chest talk about how violence is the answer, you know? And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, like I said, with some of those other movies like fight club and, and American Psycho and things like that is people hear the words uh-huh. and then assume that's the gospel when really they're not looking at the context clues around it. It's like, yeah, yeah, why, yeah. Don't you, why don't you look at the people that are saying this is a good thing? Right. Is there anything good in their life right now? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Great. You point. know, so I think, yeah. I think you're right where um, in, in a different lens and maybe with a bigger hit, I think you're right. I think we, cause we see, I think we've talked about this in the show, the whole like American sniper uh, movie and the true life character of Chris, of Chris Pyle and, uh, and the idea mm-hmm. that, um, mm-hmm. you know, he wears that Punisher badge, right. You know, and he's kind of like mm-hmm. taking, you know, cherry picking the coolness of a combo character that is a, you know, a war filled combo character is a deadly and a violent combo character, but maybe isn't a sniper out to kill Brown people, you know, that kind of thing where, yeah, or like, calls them savages. Take, exactly. Know? Like I, I it's, taking symbolism or, or picking and choosing symbolism a little too yes. far where um i think i think again with a different with a uh, with a different concentration or and obviously with a, a bigger audience i can see a movie like this rabble rousing the uh, you know the knuckleheads you know and the people who would be like wow look at these guys you know look how fucking cool this like well, this could yeah. be a circle jerk movie for again the right wing this and that well, and i'm glad it yeah. i'm glad it ducks that um but at the same time, and maybe it ducks it. Well, I, I how much I like. I think it got lucky in '97 that it didn't become a overconsumed circle jerk versus, yeah. or, or today it wouldn't even get. It would just get canceled. It wouldn't even get this far well, at all. I'll give you a, a good comp. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't have the box office numbers to back this up. Go ahead. But, I got the Starship Trooper box office numbers, and well, I can look up the other ones. Go ahead. Well, the one I'm the one I'm thinking of is there was a movie that came out in 2018. I remember I saw it on my birthday, June 30th. Okay. Okay. And I'll tell you the name in a second, but it was probably one of the most nihilistic movies 
I had ever seen. And a friend of mine named Tim, he and I both agreed, like, this is the movie at that time America deserved. Like, we deserved a nihilistic movie. I don't think it was a big hit. But when I saw it in the theater in Scottsdale, which is very more right-leaning, like, it was packed there. I don't know if it made a lot of money, but it was Sicario Day of the Soldado. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's that's way different than the first one. Way different than the first one. However, um. Much like Starship Troopers, um, it its raw depiction of kind of senseless violence, mm-hmm. um, especially against a let's put it a monolith of what a people is considered. Right? People are right, considered right. like you know uh, it's you know people often consider that if you're Muslim, you're automatically a terrorist. That's unfortunately how stupid a lot of people in our country are unfortunately Um, so that was kind of the same thing that movie kind of like i feel like people saw it and were like oh yeah we're getting the retribution like that's deserved but Uh the fact that um stefano salima is the director of that by him like showing this this absolutely nihilism on display. I mean, there, there's even a point where Benicio the Toro gets shot in the head mm-hmm. and doesn't die. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, it's trying to say something about that. Like our yeah. hero of these movies is one of the most, is a child killing, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, despicable person. And then the other hero, Josh Brolin is this guy that like the military calls in you know, yeah. and he's so laid back with his violence and torture that he just wears like sandals and swimsuit, fucking polo shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So like, that's another one that I don't think was a huge cultural success that has the same kind of thing where a lot of the reviews at that time were uh-huh. like, "This, this is a completely racist, rude." Yeah, awful movie that glorifies torture and stuff like that. And I was just like, I don't think you guys got the point. Like that no, is not the point yeah. of that movie. I um, that's so here, here's the numbers call. here. So Sicario Day of the Soldado came out uh, on its opening weekend, made about nineteen million dollars. It's budgeted at thirty five. It was in third place, getting trounced by the third week of Incredibles two and the mm. second week of Jurassic Park: Fallen Kingdom. Uh, it damn near got beat its own opening weekend by Uncle Drew. The fucking was it the Kyrie Irving disguise movie, um, <laughs> which I liked. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, it does this thing. Uh, and then yeah, it faded. It faded quickly, sixty percent drop yeah. first weekend, and then it just got worse from there. Um, it made it out with um, fifty million domestic, seventy five worldwide. So it doubled its, it doubled its, uh, it doubled its budget, which probably counts as a landing in the black nowadays. Starship yeah. Troopers, just for fun, yeah. Um, it, it came out the first weekend of November uh, to a twenty. And now remember, Soldado's nineteen million dollars today different than back then where 22 million was a pretty nice little hit uh, on opening weekend in November, but it did wash quickly. It was number one that weekend. Uh, It, it beat Mr. Bean uh, coming up (laughs) and number two, but here's the holdovers that were there before the big, and that, that 97 holiday season is like Mm -hmm. as good as it gets Uh, Titanic tomorrow never dies. Like the uh, big hitters are coming. So mm-hmm. Starship Troopers was the undoubted number one. Uh, you have, I know what you did last summer, the devil's advocate, red corner, mad city, and a, lo- a little movie called boogie nights, just kind of hanging around wow. before the Christmas movies get there. Um, and then history wise, Starship Troopers would drop 54%. It 
It would lose half of its screens in about six weeks. And by and was out of theaters um, the weekend Titanic rolled in December, the Chris weekend <laughs> after Christmas, weekend before Christmas in 97. So it didn't have to compete with that, but it was definitely getting killed at Thanksgiving. For example, well, hold on, what reviews. was it? The yeah. Thanksgiving hitter that year was hold on, I gotta get back to the Thanksgiving. Goodwill hunting out that uh, was that yeah, but it was, that movie? wasn't like a box office. That, okay, so oh, no, that made that, a lot of money. That made almost as much money as uh Starship Troopers. Goodwill hunting. Well, I yeah, mean, Starship yeah. Troopers Starship Troopers ended with um in those fifties uh, and seventy fives, the Thanksgiving hitters that year were Flubber, because there's always a family one, uh Alien Resurrection. And kind of holdovers of like the Rainmaker Grisham movie, but mm. by the time Thanksgiving got here, Starship Troopers was ten. Um, and then you get after that, Google Honey made good money, but it was one of those like didn't make its money until January, February, March when the award stuff started to yeah, come in, and the, de- and the Dead Winter box office like it didn't open big. It right, was right. one of those small word of mouth ones that took a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, oh, no, sure. um, I'm with thematically, you. Let's go. Let's go yeah, yeah, thematically yeah. then, but also the dot box office hits. Right. Either, no, but but I'm with. But I'm with you on Sicario. Like it's there to let you know this is how nihilistic you were perfect word for it. Like this is where we're at now with this presumed war on this and war on that, whether it's trafficking terrorists or drug wars and whatnot, or even just U.S. Mexico relations that I mean, doesn't help that we're in pure Trump times there where, you know, all we want to talk about is a goddamn wall. So, I mean, it just it the optics there that people were trying to read into it you know, we're just already, already blurred by the optics of, of unfortunately the moment. And, um, I don't know how, I don't know if Sicario had, Soldado has the deep enough politics to have a, a longer cult classic life the way troopers does, but maybe we'll see. I don't know. I mean, we need to see, I don't know what, I guess we just need to see what the next chapter of Mexico is with us as a neighbor. So mm-hmm. I feel like we're yeah. still, I feel like we're still there, you know, of figuring, sure. figuring where we're going to be out where we have Florida governors and different governors putting refugees in different cities and not, not taking people in. Like we're kind of still in that moment. So, well, the yeah. best way, the best way I can sum up, I think the reaction to search troopers is I was, I was looking at something. Uh, Facebook always has these things that pop up like, you know, 25 clever comebacks. And you kind of read these articles that just have yeah, these yeah. cool and and one of them was there was like a Lakota Indian who posted on Twitter, like, what did he say? I can't remember what he said. He said something about being native. Right? He had like a, a flag or a tattoo or something, right? And mm-hmm. someone immediately jumped on Twitter and was like, nice appropriation, asshole, you know? Yeah. And, and someone was like, dude, the guy is native. Like, there is kind of just like the people reacting to Verhoeven saying he's a fascist. It was like, dude, this guy like literally had to escape his home country from the Nazis. Like, do you really think this guy's a fascist? But those Mm -hmm. aren't the kind of things people like to research anymore. They just like to make accusations and throw things out there. And to me, that is what makes this movie even more powerful is if you can get some people to say this is trash because of what they think it is and not what it really is. That's, that's really what in the end carries the day for me. Yeah, I what carries the day for me, which helps helps me, especially now being older and catch catching on more to the commentary and, and being able to swallow a little bit more of the bad acting and and knowing where these stars mm-hmm. would eventually go and not go. But um, uh, I keep coming on this recent rewatch. I really keyed into uh, Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown. 
Um, Ironside especially because Dean like Norris too. Dean Norris oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean Norris is in there. Yeah. But um, these older characters and not just the guy you're talking about with the legs who's greeting, you know, the little pencil pushing greeting guy, but the ones that really, the ones that really come in and have something to say. Uh, in terms of the older folks in the movie, I think those voices, so to speak, or those characters really shine through because like now you see not just the youth, you know, brimming with the I want to get involved kind of stuff or the citizenship match that goes with it. But you have a generation uh, playing their leaders who've been either ingrained in it. Uh, or made the grain to push it, you know, and Ironside's transition from teacher to, you know, roughneck leader is awesome to watch. It helps that it's Michael goddamn Ironside, who's, yep. you know, cool, top five coolest voices in the world. Now, wow. coolest names, too. Yeah. Cla- <laughs> now, Cla- now, Clancy Brown, you know, two years after Shawshank Redemption, maybe three, uh, he's maybe overselling his hand and, you know, and cast a little too typecasted conveniently. But even mm. him, mm. like Clancy, the fun part about Clancy is, and we've been able to see him lately, you know, bloom as an actor where it's not just, I'm going to play the hard ass asshole. Like he's current crescendo to great career of now. And nowadays he's playing like the grandpa and the dad in lots of little (laughs) movies. And um, he's got a line, uh, same thing, kind of like people ask about the movie. And um, he thinks it's kind of Verhoeven's warning to America where he, uh, where Verhoeven's kind of saying, be careful. This mindset can get you in trouble. And Clancy's a guy who kind of says, I think this warning still stands. And I think we are at that. We're at that weird point of like the wrong kind of popular politics can stir the wrong kinds of shit up. And it's a good thing we don't have maybe it's a good thing. We don't have a war right now. Like, cause if if this was Russia right now, uh, we'd be, we'd be in a pickle, you know, it'd just be, it would get weird in a hurry, you know? You know, I, I actually, uh, and I don't know if we want to wrap things up, but actually I have a better uh, example. Okay. Uh, of why watching Starship Troopers when you're 15 to 17 versus 40 is better because when, like you said, uh, when we were young, yeah. you know, everybody wanted Denise Richards. But oh when gosh, I yeah. watch the movie now, yeah, I oh. want Dina Meyer. Like, I, I want Dina Meyer bad. Yes, sir. No, <laughs> like, I'm with you. Um, yeah, Dina Meyer. Dina Meyer looks great, and yeah. and just has and um, it's fun to see her character. Um, just the I mean, I know she's kind of horn dog invested into the you know the guy that she likes, but she's you know she's able. She's she's uh, good at what she does versus fucking carmen who's just you know oh my god she's a good pilot but you never believe it you never absolutely not yeah Yeah. um and for van dean i mean on paper it is an impossible choice between dina and denise but yes i am team dina for sure (laughs) yeah um the last note i have for wrapping up is and i think it and we've talked about this trade of movies and and where um even though uh the basil paladora score is just fucking amped you know, I know it's kind of recycled Polydorus where you hear an awful lot of Robocop in there where it's not a lot, of, not a ton of variation, but it does enough to just get you going, you know, because um, mm-hmm. th- those battle swells and those, ba- you know, the, the brass shows up and it's I miss scores like Polydorus because I feel like we don't we, we go strings a lot. We go electronica, but like old school because he did Conan. He did this. He did yep. Robocop. Like big fucking loud brass. I miss. I, I thought this was Goldsmith when I was watching. I, I thought so too because it felt old enough to be like old war movie homage. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it felt very Goldsmith. But no, yeah, it's Polidorus. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's a great. 
you know, actually, it's one of those names that when it popped up in the credits, I was like, I've never heard of this guy. And then I, I look at his filmography and I've seen 11 yeah. films that he scored. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some random stuff, too. Like, not only did he yeah. do, like, a lot of Verhoeven stuff and Conan, but he did, like, Free Willy and Hot Shots Part Do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. um, and if you want, like, a softer version, like, um, he did For Love of the Game, with, but that Sam yep. Raimi did. That's a good one. Just, I remember that. Yep. Uh, they score in a cuddly baseball movie you know, a year after the two years after this where mm-hmm. yeah he, he's got gears and it's when he hits when he hits the robocop conan gear mm-hmm. yeah, i i like it. you know i, I you, you get you, it gets you pumping you know and you need that in the movie like because if this was just i don't know electronic dirge number three from tyler bates or some name a random marvel score composer who can't make a theme you know because by the end of this movie he's repetitive he's basilis repetitive enough of this themes that you're you're humming it you're you're humming it running through the wall with rico so well yeah. that's and that is the music is important because yep. that's another hallmark of propaganda is yes how yes. catchy these things are like the the funny thing about the movie is the the whole score is great but like yeah. What really gets your blood pumping is the theme, the Federation theme of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like, this would be like the equivalent of you like jamming down the street to like the Nazi anthem. <laughs> like, it's like such, you should yeah. not be doing this, but it's, it fucking kicks ass. You know, like, it's a great theme. And it's, it, that's, that's part of the trick of the movie is like, you're in it. Like, there's, I mean, cause there, mm-hmm. there are stretches. Of the movie, and I don't know if this works for you or not, but there there okay. are stretches of the movie where it does turn into simply an action film. Like there's a there's a yep. sequence when they land on this kind of desert planet, and I think they filmed it in like Utah or something. Yeah, but like yeah. Or Wyoming Badlands. Yeah, Wyoming Badlands, and it it it's about a thirty minute sequence where they. Mm-hmm. They land, they fight during the day, they enter this base, they protect the base, and Dizzy dies. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's about 30 minutes where it's there is no satire. It's just straight oh. up blood pumping action. You know, and I think and, that's and you said it before where where we compare this to McKay, like I feel like that's part of the balance is you know, it's not trying to just shout the satire the whole damn time. Like, let's yeah. let's get you let's get you rolling with some action. Let's get you hot and bothered with some good looking teens. Let's get you some friend angles. Let's get you some love triangle angles. Like they're <laughs> they're pumping a few more things in there than just I need to hit the satire bell every chance I get. Like again, somebody would it was crazy that we're calling overplaying a hand in a very in a very over the top movie, but like this we get ruined today by somebody that's it does, it's good that's, balance. That's the trick yeah. of the movie is it makes you yeah. think that on the surface. And a lot of people that saw that, like my friend, Jeff, our friend, Jeff, you uh-huh. know, they have that memory of it being over the top, vapid and empty. And that's the great trick. And that's the great part of it is that it's not, but it looks like it is like, mm-hmm. like I think one of the, the examples, and I'm not saying I, I'm not going to be mean to Casper Van Dien by all accounts. Seems like a nice guy, you know, carved a little niche of a career for himself being in kind of lower B movie stuff. And, you know, he's doing his best. So I'm not going to shit all over Casper Van Dien as an actor. He's yeah. not he's not the best in this. It's definitely yeah. not the greatest acting role I've ever seen. However, and this is part of that whole thing where, like, you're humming the theme tune or mm-hmm. your blood is pumping when they say, you know, he's afraid and you shouldn't be, but you're excited. That the moment at the end <clears throat> when, you know, it's the, it's the video, whatever the hell you want to call it, the propaganda video saying, like, yeah. will you join them? And they're showing you where all the main characters that survived are. 
Yeah. And he's guiding them all into battle. And he goes, come on, you apes. You want to live forever. I know. That is so kind of fucking badass. But at the uh-huh. same time, like, like he actually delivers that great. You're kind of like, yeah, Rico, let's go. And like, that's another part. Like no matter that's where I think uh, mm-hmm. the effort and yeah. good intentions work for it. Because like I said, not the greatest actor, but that moment's funny, fucking cool. And I shouldn't think it's cool, but it is anyway. And if that doesn't kind of sum up the kind of mastery of mm-hmm. what this movie is, because you're yeah. feeling things you shouldn't be feeling and thinking things are cool that shouldn't be cool and then feeling guilty about it. Kind of like, you know, I mean, Robocop's yeah. the same way. The fact that they were oh, totally. selling, the fact that they were selling Robocop toys in Walmart oh and Kmart God. and having yeah. an animated series about it. Yep. When it's when RoboCop himself is like a like th- the fact that RoboCop exists in his universe is a cruel statement mm-hmm. because this guy should be dead. He's living yeah. this freaking automaton painful life, and 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 actually, um, even though Verhoeven did not direct RoboCop two, um, Irvin Kershner did. Right. They they double down on that because there's a there's a sequence in RoboCop two where. Um, the company keeps trying to build RoboCops and mm-hmm. like they're all in agony and pain and they all kill themselves. <laughs> like there's, there's the one where the guy takes his helmet off and he's like, fucking kill me. And he like shoots his head off. And it's like, yeah, man, that's what should happen to RoboCop. Like this sucks. Like, but now he's a toy, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah. well said you're on it, man. Hmm. Well, um, so, you know, you, what'd you give it? Four stars? I did. It'll stay okay. four. I don't, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I doogie. <laughs> it's a doogie star for the, the acting. The, I, I know, even though, like you said it, even though we're intentionally going for, uh, himbos and doofuses for a himbo and doofus culture, mm-hmm. it, they're still, they're, it's rough. It, it's, it's a star's worth of deduction for me, but, uh, but no, I'm, oh, interesting. I'm a, yeah, okay. it's a time it's a time capsule of um of prescient commentary that again, like you said, it deserves to be seen. That's pretty darn cool. I, I just feel like if they cast real actors in it, it wouldn't have the same punch satirically. Like I if think Matt so Damon was Rico. Yeah, which like, he auditioned, like you said, he auditioned for this would not sell as well because no. Matt Damon is too good of an actor. I don't think he's got the swagger. Like that's not high school stud muffin either. Not 97 uh, Matt well, Damon. That's why Verhoeven didn't cast him because yeah, exactly. he wanted like someone who looked too perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's and would, it. And yeah. Van Dean looks great. You know, he, yeah. no, he's got the jawline and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he looks great on the poster screaming and everything. Like, yeah, he, it's. I, I want to say it's good casting because of the intentionality of it. You know, I um, the the closest comp I can come to is by the time we got to the Entourage movie, where mm-hmm. all the actors in Entourage are kind of a joke because they're playing yeah. what they will never be, which is like these famous people. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> that's kind of the same thing. Like this one is like this. Even though Van Dean might be thinking it, and Denise Richards might be thinking it, and Dina Meyer might be thinking it, Patrick Muldoon might be thinking it, the creators of this movie cast them because they suck, mostly. Yep. And yeah. that services the story. So they were casting to service the movie. Mm-hmm. And God bless the hearts of some of these people. I like Dina Meyer. I think she's actually a pretty good actress. Yeah. Um, 
And and Patrick Muldoon isn't bad. He's not bad. Um, he does what he's supposed to do, which is mm-hmm. kind of be that mixture of smarmy and cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, bless their hearts, but they are definitely cannon fodder for the story of this movie, <laughs> for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so you want to wrap it up? Yes, sir. Fire away. All right. So, folks, before we exit, we do have merch. We have shirts. We have stickers. We have all kinds of fun cinephile hissy fit swag so please go to tpublic.com slash user slash ruminations radio network.com and do your part and buy a shirt okay if you buy i guarantee you this don i'm gonna make this guarantee if you buy a shirt and a sticker i guarantee you citizenship in the terran federation yep i think you have the power to grant that fire away and you will be able to vote so because remember you can't unless you kill bugs so uh, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit uh, for now. <laughs> for, so, so if Twitter slash X is still around, on Facebook at Cinephile History Fit Podcast and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find both of us by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25 Years Later Media. If you enjoyed the show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Join now. Do you want to know more? Do you want to know more? Yeah, we should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I still recorded it. Recording, still on. We're good. We're good, guys. Have a. Right. You should interject that into the ad part. Like, do you want to know more? Oh yeah. gosh, yeah. Mit